And so we're wrapping up this kingdom training series, and we're going to start by reading Matthew 7, 24 through 27, which is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it says. Therefore, everyone who, has, who hears these words of mine and acts in them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act like them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. Now, I think we have an understanding that storms in life will come through. And a lot of times we, we think of storms coming and we think of like an annoyance. So when I grew up in, when I didn't grow up, when I lived in Lexington, my wife and I lived a house and we lived in a, in a bedroom that faced north. And we had a huge field up behind us and we lived on the second floor. Our, our bedroom, we didn't live just on the second floor. Our bedroom was on the second floor. And when a massive cold front would came through, come through with like 50 or 60 mile an hour winds, I could not sleep. Because the, the noise was too loud. So there's numerous times I had to go find another place in the house because it was annoying. And so I'd hear a storm coming going, oh, I'm so annoyed. That's not what we're talking about here. We know that those storms are coming, but do we recognize the fact, and if anything 2020 has shown us, is there are some storms that will be coming that are more devastating than we ever thought. Why else would we build our house in a foolish place? Why else would we build our house upon the sand? If we knew that the rivers were going to rise and carry it away, we wouldn't do that. What draws us into that atmosphere and that believing? And so that's kind of what we want to unwrap with this story, is why would we be suckered into doing this? Well, at first glance, the house was on the wadi sand because it was a better location. Who doesn't like a room with a view, right? If you live on the, the beach, the beach is prime real estate, until a hurricane comes through. Everybody wants to have that wonderful... Now, I don't like the sand, but I like a good room with a view. I don't want to go on the beach. I want to sit out on my balcony if I'm on a beach vacation and just look at the ocean from there. That's good enough. That's beach living for me, right? I love the view. We all like the view. And so what is the view that distracts you from the possibility of the danger that may be coming? What is it that draws you away from having your foundation being in Christ? It goes back to the old song that I grew up singing. What, don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Oh, it might be kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice, so you'll have to build the house once more. Now, that song wasn't originally recorded in spoken word, but for the sake of you all, I did it as such, okay? Don't build your house too near the shore because you may have to build it twice. It's the distractions the things that keep us, the things that, we, that cause us to not pay attention to the danger and to not have our foundation in Christ. What is it for you? What takes you away from the presence of God? What are the things that, maybe for you it's sports. Have we, can we learn that sports may be a kind of a distraction? I think 2020 has shown us that we can't put our hope in sports, right? Maybe it's just having this, I don't know, there's a billion things it could be. And that is the first thing that I want you to sit there and think. What could distract me from having my foundation being put in the presence and in the power of God? Maybe it's making a choice that you know you're supposed to make, but you don't want to make it. 
Well, that actually leads us to our second way that we can get distracted into building our house, our foundation in the wrong place. And to do that, I want us to look at a deeper glance and going back to Luke's version of this. In Luke 6, 46 through 49, it says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone who is like me comes to me. Here's my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the rivers crushed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act like a man who is built on the house on the ground without a foundation, the river crushed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. You see, this story is the understanding that when the, the troubles of the storm of our lives come, it's not necessarily representative that God isn't with us, but rather how we handle it is a measure to whether or not our foundation is in Christ or in something else. Because the storms will come. The storms will come. Whether it's a cancer, cancer diagnosis, whether it's a loss of job, whether it's a, I don't know, a pandemic that hits. Something that's unprepared, unforeseen, is going to come in your life. And where is your foundation? Now, here, it's not just about looking and saying, oh, that looks like a pretty spot. But to describe it here, it's saying, actually, the way that this is described in Luke is the way that we find our foundation is not just to build the house on the sand, but to do the work necessary to dig down deeper to find the bedrock to find the foundation maybe just maybe our house isn't on the foundation because we aren't doing the work maybe it's because we're lazy as followers of Jesus we are to dig down deeply and to root our foundation in Christ now, here's how this fails with us a lot. I'm, gonna, I'm about to share with you one of the oldest sermon illustrations I know. I've heard probably eight different pastors share this. I've never shared this because I'm that guy who doesn't like to share the illustrations everybody shares, okay? But I doubt this story is even true, but it makes a great illustration. Here it goes. You ready? I, got, I oversold this illustration now. There is the story of a general contractor who was working, and a very rich man in town came in and said, Hey, I want you to build me a mansion. And he said, I want you to spare no expense. Just tell me how you're spending the money, and then I want to come in, and I, I'm, I want you to just make it luxurious. And so the contractor starts doing the work, and as he starts looking at it, he starts thinking, you know, I could probably cut this corner here and report that I'm doing it to this thing. I'm, I'm going to cut this corner here. Instead of putting this beam in here, I'm going to put this one and tell him I put another one. And he starts finding a way to, to steal a little money, to put a little money in his pocket. He cuts corner after corner after corner to make his profit, to make his comfort level go up. Well, the time comes where he approaches the uh, rich man, and he says, your mansion is done. And the guy says, great, here's the keys. You see, this house was actually for you all along. And we sit there and go, man, I wish that would happen to me, right? <laughs> but I think that illustration is very representative of how we treat our own you see, God has given us the keys to the mansion. He, he's given us access to all the resources that we need in Him. 
He's given us the ability to know how to follow him. He's given the ability to know how to have peace, to have joy, to have kindness, to gentleness and faithfulness. He's given us the ability to love other people. He's given us the ability to feel loved and cherished and valued. He's given us the ability to place our hope in him. And how often do we neglect the house that we should be living in and cut the corner by doing the easy thing, by cut the corner saying, well, that rule doesn't apply to me. Or we cut the corner and we keep sitting there going, this won't ultimately matter. And then we look at it and we realize that the only person to blame is us. Are you willing to to do the work? Because let me tell you something. To place your hope in Christ should cost you something. It just should. This is us. We have been given keys. We have to dig deep and build the foundation that we have in Christ. I, w- I want to uh, parallel this with another thing I was reading this morning uh, in a story found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be known as that? He's called the weeping prophet because his job is to get up and tell all the people that they have sinned for generation after generation and God is tired of it. That would be a great message. I'm not doing that message today, by the way. But in the course of the conversation, they are about to be run over by their enemies. They're about to lose their lands. They're about to be um, invaded. You think this pandemic is bad. They're looking at gloom and doom and knowing that their people are going to be carried off or killed. Okay? And in Jeremiah 10, verses 22 through 23, here's what it says. Listen, a noise is coming. A great commotion from the land to the north. The cities of Judah will be made desolate, a jackal's den. I know, Lord, that a person's way of life is not his own. No one who walks determines his own steps. In other words, he's recognizing the sovereignty or the fact that God is in control. He's recognizing the power and the authority of what God says is what I need to do. He's walking along all of this and saying, okay, God, what you ask me to do, I will be. And then here's how we respond. This is what he asks of God. Not God, would you spare us? Not God, would you do anything? But rather he says the following. Discipline me, Lord, but with justice, not in your anger, or you reduce me to nothing. Discipline me, Lord. Not with anger, but with justice. The idea of a child recognizing that the discipline of a a father or a mother or whoever they're living with, if it's a grandparent, and looking down at them and saying, I am punishing you not because I am angry with you, but correcting you onto the right path. When was the last time we felt like that? Let me give you another illustration. John Kelly, the pastor of our partner church in Chicago. You may not know this. You may know this. He actually received Christ or chose to become a follower of Jesus while he was in prison for a crime he did commit. He would tell you that. He was with a group of guys, and there was a murder. He didn't pull the trigger, but he was um, tried for a third-degree murder, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's right. And in the course of that, waiting for his trial, he found Christ when a jailer gave him a copy of the Bible. 
And God began to work on his heart. God began to, to really just speak to him and, and uh, just address him. And, and so he went before the judge. And as the judge was about to pronounce the sentence, he asked John. He said, John, is there anything you'd like to say? And he said, yes, sir. I'm requesting that you give me the maximum sentence. Obviously, that's not something the judge heard very much. And he said, why would you want the maximum sentence? And he said, because I am truly remorseful for, remorseful for my actions and that's the only way I know to show it. And so the judge gave him a lighter sentence. You see, it's the posture of God. What you say, I will do. Not what I think. Not what I feel. Speak. Discipline me. Correct me. And help me to do the work to find you. Now, here's, here's the place. I, I, I've got to just say this very carefully, and I, I want you to hear very carefully what I'm trying to say. My job, and Drew's job when he is up here, whether Chris is up here as he worships, or Amy, or Jordan, or Cy, or you pick a, a staff member here, our job is not to be your primary discipler. Oh, it's true. We are to disciple you, because followers share with a... But our ultimate job isn't just to be your primary discipler. Our job is to point you to the disciple maker, and his name is Jesus, which is why we say around here, followers follow Jesus. And I, I look around, and I, and I sit there, and, and, I, and I realize sometimes that in, in this pandemic, it's shown, us that, it's shown me that maybe our foundation wasn't as firm in the, in the bedrock and the cornerstone of Jesus Christ as I thought. Maybe we've made it too easy for people to just come in and sit down and, and we give you a, a wonderful daily training and you sit there and you go, that is great. And you walk out and you don't change it. it does, your life doesn't change. We don't apply it. And I'm looking at myself as I look back at the daily trainings and I'm asking, Daniel, have you really been impacted by these? Has, has God's word really penetrated your heart? And I realized sometimes we can spoon feed you a little much. You know what the problem with spoon-feeding kids forever is they never learn to grow up. And I'm sorry if we've done that too much. I want us to really come to a place. And my, my prayer is that we learn what it looks like to know how to engage Christ not just one day a week, not just a few moments every day, but in every breath we take, but it's going to require you digging deep. To really rest in the presence of God and let Him be the primary disciple of your life. So that parents, you can be the primary disciplers of your homes. Oh, we need to have a great kids ministry. Amen. But the point of the kids' ministry is to supplement. It's like a daily vitamin to the nourishment that you're already giving them as parents. The point of gathering on Sunday morning is it's the starting place where people enter Christ, and it's the exaltation where we, we glorify Christ and we learn about Him. That's why we sing. That's why we learn. It's, it's the bookends, but during the middle of the week is when you are to draw closer to God, and you are to find accountability. You are to find a small group. You are to find a, a network of friends who you can call on and, 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 and really relate to and challenge you to grow in your faith. This is what it looks like to ask God. So I'm wondering, 
today. Can we do that? Say, Daniel, what does that look like? Well, he just told us. Wait, I don't remember reading that in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He said, put your foundation in Christ. But how do I do that? Well, I'm about to say a word that we all have to say around here. Thank you, Dr. Gary Grambling. Here's what it says. Verse 24, therefore. And anytime we have a saying around here, anytime you see the word therefore, we are to see what it is therefore. And so, therefore, basically is the summary of this entire Sermon on the Mount and saying, how do you put your foundation in Christ? You do what I've told you in the previous weeks. Only it wasn't previous weeks. It was the previous passages, previous verses of this sermon. So if you'll allow me, real quickly, let's walk through this series, this kingdom training series, and see if it doesn't have an application to us. We started last week where we talked about, therefore, leads us back to a life application of the principles of the entire Sermon on the Mount, okay? So last week, we said, watch out for wolves. And we had four signs of wolves, that they refuse correction and respond to criticism with anger. If you're sitting there going, how dare he preach this sermon? You might be a wolf. They emotions to get what they want. I'm going to write him a nasty email and tell him what I'm feeling. They are ultimately trying to get what they want or prove their view is always right. If the church would just respond like I told them to, but ultimately, it's that they lack the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit. And so those are the signs that we asked you to ask yourself, could I possibly be a wolf? And at times, we probably all could possibly have been a wolf. And so in order to ensure that we aren't a wolf, we have to replace that with the seven building blocks of a mature faith. The, the signs that you're growing, that, that there will be fruit of the Spirit. And we said, you have to add to faith goodness. You have to add to goodness knowledge. You have to add to knowledge self-control. You have to add to self-control endurance. You have to add to endurance godliness. You have to add to godliness brotherly affection. And you have to add to brotherly affection love. And when you don't do that, we asked you to practice this one thing once each day, this was last week's daily training, so don't get excited. There's going to be several daily trainings right now. Once each day, ask God to show you where you need to repent. And I'm wondering right now, how many of us need to repent from not repenting last week? Because you're good. I'm wondering if we're really willing to do the work and to pay the price and to be uncomfortable and to really say, okay, what, what they're actually trying to do here isn't just to try to brainwash me. or may, It's actually to lead me to the presence of God and to allow Him to show me. I wonder if you're willing to trust that God is using His words to speak through a broken, red-headed, grammar-driven, struggler preacher To allow him to invade your soul. Maybe we need to repent from not repenting. And then the week before, we said the reason that you understand the need to repent is that you, you learn to ask and to seek and to knock. And to, we said asking is expressing a petition from an inferior to a superior. We recognize that God is holy and we are not. And as a, a baby would cry out when they are soiled or when they are hungry, not even necessarily knowing something is wrong, they groan out trusting that their parent will lovingly come and correct the issue. This is the posture that we need to do when we're asking because ultimately we're asking for His presence to come in our life. So we cry out asking. And then we seek 
And the idea of seeking is to chase after or pursue diligently. I'm going to do the work to not give up, to continue the persistently asking God's presence to be a part of my life. And I ask this, are we treating something as a substitute for the presence of God? And are, are you willing to, to endure, to stay with that, to seek and to, to ask for his presence to be with you every moment? How long are you willing to seek after God? And so it says we are to keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. And ultimately we practice this and we understand what this looks like because we make our life not about ourselves, but ultimately about his presence. And one of the ways that we know this is that we place ourselves in a humble position like that baby crying out for a parent. And so we, the daily training for that week was to elevate others by focusing on one of the following distance, disciplines to practice empathy to pray for others by names or to go the extra mile so that life isn't about you putting your foundation in Jesus not in your sandy beach land that's going to be carried away by a storm Lynn Drew the week before set this up once again which it, going backwards it's going to look like we're talking about the same thing but it, in the brilliance of the way Jesus delivered this message you can see it building right because Drew talked about humility as the key to a person becoming non-judgmental or critical oh could we learn that lesson I'm not talking just to this room I'm talking like human race right now and he talked about that we should be people that instead of bringing judgment or responding critically, we offer grace and forgiveness by a way of a humble part and a gentle answer. And so we dug deeper that day and we challenged you, instead of offering all the solutions, would you ask more questions and give less answers? Why? So you can hear the brokenness, you can see the needs, and you can meet it with Jesus. And all this traces back to the first week that we were talking about don't store up treasures on earth and and so we asked you prayerfully this week would you use an additional portion of the money god has given you to support the larger kingdom work to make sure that you aren't putting all your efforts and all your money into a house that will be carried away but rather building it into the foundational kingdom cornerstone of jesus christ and trusting that God is going to use the resources you give and you have given for the bigger, broader kingdom to allow the kingdom to be built up so that when the storm comes, it doesn't not only carry you away, it doesn't carry away the people in this town, in this community, in this country, and in this world. And all of it traces back to the idea that all of it ultimately is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is emphatically challenging the norm with a deeper understanding of his kingdom. See, this is kingdom training. It's kingdom training when you realize this is something that we should be about every moment of every day. And the main point of the entire series, Jesus was teaching the people that they would have to adjust what they have learned to find their ultimate purpose in life a deep and meaningful relationship with God himself. Where are you? Is God something you just do when you have time? That's not a deep and meaningful relationship. Is God something you just do on Sunday mornings at a routine? That's a system. That's not a relationship. Is God something that you just bring into your life because you want your kids to go to heaven that's not a relationship as noble as that may be the 
See, in order to have a relationship with God, you have to realize your posture and you have to surrender your will, your way, and say, God, whatever you want, I want you to show me. And it looks like Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets where Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Do you understand what that's talking about? You see, this is not the church. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm allowed to have the presence of God dwell within me in the form of the Holy Spirit. And as that presence of God dwells within me, God lives within Daniel Barry and within you if you claim to be a follower of Christ. So where God's presence is, that is the church, people. The church is not bricks and building and mortar. The church is the people. And if the foundation that we have in our life isn't found in Jesus, if we aren't allowing him to, to matriculate through all areas of our life, then the church is not strong. I, I desperately want us to come to a place, all of us in this country, where we recognize and we sense the need that whether it is a funeral or a wedding or birth, Jesus would be glorified. That when we go to school, when we go to work, when we make parenting decisions, that when we, we wake up in the morning, we long to be in His presence. That as we open His Word, we are challenged by His faith. That as we're walking through day-to-day -day activities, we're listening and we're asking God to speak to us in His presence. And so that our foundation isn't swept away by any circumstances because day by day, moment by moment, event by event, Jesus is the foundation. This is how we become the church. And so as he finishes this up in Ephesians, he says, and in him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So are you building the church? Am I? See, the first step is to become a follower of Jesus. And if you've never done that, I'd ask you to give your life to Christ. What does that look like? Well, we'd love for you to go to yourcalvary.info and fill out a information there. We should have the link there shortly if you're doing it online. But also, if you're in this room, we'd love you to know we'd love to have a conversation with you out in the next step space out there. Or send us an email through the week. But after you make that decision, followers follow Jesus. And the second step is really to learn how to follow him, how to make him the primary discipler. And that comes from a posture not of, God, what is the easiest thing I can do? But maybe we need to hearken back to the words of Jeremiah that says, Discipline me, Lord, but with justice. Not in your anger or you will reduce me to nothing, so God, correct me when I do it my way. Correct me when I think I know the best way. Correct me when I feel like I can cut the corners. Correct me when I, you think that I can do it how you want. God, correct me, show me, and help me to stay in your presence. Which leads us to digging deeper. So here is this week's daily training, and I hope you will practice it. I want you to, wait for it, establish one goal for the next year that will enable you to root your foundation more deeply in Christ. Daniel, what's the goal? Right, I'm not going to tell you. Because it's supposed to be yours. I don't want to just give you spoon feed. 
say, I don't know where to begin. Well, it begins by reading his word, so maybe that's a good place to start. Commit to reading his word, a, a chapter a day. Start in the New Testament, not the Old. We'd love to find my boy Drew Phillips. He'd love to help you out. Maybe you need to be involved in a small group. You've never done that. Maybe you need to have an accountability. Maybe you need to follow in baptism because you've never done that. Maybe you need to commit to being in the house of the Lord every Sunday unless you're sick. And if you are sick or if anyone in your house is sick, please don't come. Love you. Stay home. There's this great thing called the internet. But if you're not sick and no one's in your house sick, maybe you're saying, okay, no sports, no other agenda is going to keep me from the house of God. If I'm on vacation, I'm going to find the house of God. If I'm going to, whatever, I'm going to grow closer to God. Maybe you need to learn to give. Trust your resources with God. I, I don't want to tell you what it is. I, I want you to not take the easiest example, though. I want you to dig deep because it should cost you something. It should be difficult. There should be sweat, equity. And digging deeper and placing your hope in Jesus. For those who are about to go away to college, I know we have quite a few. And my challenge to you is go find a church. And get involved and grow from day one. So God, would you move? Would you breathe? Would you guard us and guide us? Would you teach us? Oh God, we ask right now for you to lovingly correct us, to discipline us, to bring us back in the right path so that as we grow, we're not foolishly building our hope in something that isn't hopeful. That we have the evidence of the, how good and sweet and great you are, that, that you are the great I am, a loving, kind, generous. Yes, you are disciplinary, but it's done in love. You are the alpha, the omega, the beginning of the end. You are our cornerstone, our hope, our salvation, our healer, everything. So God, forgive us when we, we don't make you our everything. But God, may our hearts cry and our moment by moment breath be. Here I am. I am available for you. Use me. In your holy name we pray. Amen.